Welcome to West Church. We're so thankful you've joined us today. Whether you're joining us in person or virtually, we're excited to come together to praise, worship, and receive God's glory. If this is your first time with us, we'd like to give you a very special welcome. If you're returning, thanks for joining us again. We appreciate it, and we appreciate you. Now, let's prepare to be inspired and encouraged as we enter into worship. So there was a time in my life when I had been working at a dealership for nearly seven years. It was my favorite of all the stores that I'd ever worked for. I had been through the recession of 2008. They had originally hired me as a manager, but then I was demoted to a salesperson, but I stayed on. And then after that, there was a tsunami in Japan. I was selling Acura brand, and some of our models were completely unavailable, and many of the parts and the colors for white paint and red paint were completely unavailable, and we had, like, no cars. During the seven years, I reported to three different sales managers. Uh, I'd won a bunch of awards and was consistently among the top salespeople. The dealership was just 15 minutes outside of Atlantic City, New Jersey. And just just at the turn of the year, five casinos shut down in New Jersey. Each one of them employed between 1,000 and 1,500 people. And so the economy of Atlantic City, as well as the economy of the surrounding bedroom communities that supported it, took a nosedive. And I watched my sales income go down and down and down and down. And so I was on pace, after six months of watching this, I was on pace to make 50% of what I'd made the year before. So I had to do a reality check. I wasn't going to be able to get, get by on a pay cut like that. So it was time for me to think about going to work somewhere else. A reality check is when we take a hard look at our circumstances and what we know to be true. We look at the numbers. We consider the hard truths. We don't ignore reality. We don't deny the struggles. We consider where we actually are and what is really happening, and we act based upon what we know to be true. My reality check at that time told me that it was time to move to a different place of business. Now, we've been working our way through Romans chapter 8 since the beginning of this year, and our theme has been, if God is for us, and that theme comes from one of the verses that we read today. And we've considered the power of what Christ has done for us, the grace of what the Holy Spirit is doing in us, how God has been working through our groaning, how God has been working before time and in time to work His salvation in us, how God has always been working and always will be working for our good. And in today's verses, Paul switches to a bunch of questions. And when a writer or a speaker switches to questions, it means you need to stop and think about what the answers are. 
Questions are an invitation to pause and consider. Questions are a challenge to take a closer look. Questions are an opportunity to do a reality check. What do I know to be true? What do I know not to be true? How does this change what I do next? The questions Paul asks are a reality check for the believers in the church in Rome. There are seven questions in our ESV translation that we read this morning. Some of them are almost the same or take a slightly different slant on the same situation. And as I look at them, I'm boiling them down into three simple questions that we're going to consider today. Here they are. Who is against me or who is accusing me? Second, is God holding back? And third, what has come between me and the love of Jesus? Who is against me or who is accusing me? Number two, is God holding back? And number three, what has come between me and Jesus' love? Let's take a look at these questions together. Who is against me or who is accusing me? Verse 31 says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, here's the verse we've been using as the center of our theme for this entire year. If God is in for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? And what's the answer? No one. But it doesn't mean that there aren't persons or spiritual forces of evil that are definitely against us. It just means that the God who sent Jesus for us the God who gives His Spirit to live within us, the God who adopted us as His sons and daughters, the God who hears us groan and hears the creation groan and groans with us, the God who hears our prayers when we groan, the God who foreknew, predestined, called, justified, and glorified us is for us. And compared to Him, no one can compare. Verse 33 and 34 say this, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect or those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. This question has to do with accusations. Who can charge us, who can accuse us of wrongdoing? If God justifies us, then what about the condemnation of other people really, really matters? Now, we talked about this word justified last week. Just take a couple moments to review it. To be justified, according to Paul here in this passage, means that all of our sin has been charged to the account of Jesus who died on the cross in our place. And the righteousness of Jesus, His perfect obedience to His Father, is charged to our account in place of our sin. Jesus takes our sin and He gives us His righteousness. And this is not something that we do for ourselves. It is something that is done for us by God. And we receive the benefits of it because we believe that Jesus did this for us. We don't try to earn it. We don't try to pay it back or pay it off. We receive it with hearts full of gratitude, with hearts full of worship, with hearts full of awe at God's mercy and goodness to us. 
And with hearts full, we seek to know and love Him better each and every day for all that He's done. If Jesus was condemned for our sins, then there is no more condemnation left. God is not going to change His mind or turn away from us, even even when we struggle with sin today. Jesus died for the sins I commit today, and He doesn't change His mind and now decide to punish me for something that Jesus died for. Now, if we choose to disobey God, the consequences of our actions, they might come back to roost on us. But that's not because God has changed His mind or stopped forgiving us. When you pursue things that are harmful for you and harmful for other people, you know what happens? They harm you and they harm other people. And when we turn from those things, guess what happens? They stop harming us, they stop haunting us, and they begin to lose their power over our consciences to condemn us. In Jesus, God will not recondemn us. Jesus was condemned in our place. Our consciences may condemn us sometimes if we dishonor God, but God is greater than our consciences. If God's not accusing us, who is? Verse 35 says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. You see, there were plenty of people condemning the Christians who lived in Rome in that day. They were being persecuted. Life was extremely distressing. They faced severe need. They faced dangerous situations because of their faith. They even faced physical persecution from those who were in power who were able to enforce their will by the strength of the sword. There were lots of people accusing these Christians, just like you will run into people today who accuse you as a Christian of doing wrong. It shouldn't surprise us, it really shouldn't surprise us that a U.S. senator suggested that the Jesus Gets Us commercial during the Super Bowl is fascist. Those are just accusatory words, but worse could be coming, and we may find ourselves facing accusations at the end of the barrel of a gun. If that should happen we would be in good company with the Christians in Rome. All those accusations amount to a hill of beans compared to how Almighty God sees us, feels about us, thinks about us, and has acted towards us. And if God is not condemning you, it's time for a reality check. Whatever else anybody says can never finally condemn us. If God is not condemning us, we are free from condemnation. Verse 36, that cheery verse we ended our reading with this morning. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Amen. That's a quote from Psalm 44, verse 22. And whenever you see a quote from the Hebrew Bible in the New Testament, 
you do well to go back and see where it comes from, not just the verse itself, but the, the whole context from which the verse is taken. It's calling into mind something that people would have known. And Psalm 44 appears to be, is, a, is about how God appears to have turned His back on His people. Now, sometimes God di- disciplines His people when they're going astray. But Psalm 44 isn't apparently about that. It's not one of those situations where He's disciplining them for something they're deliberately doing wrong. And the psalm ends with this cry for God to rise up and help His downtrodden people. Perhaps the Roman Christians were dying like sheep. We definitely know it happened to many, many, many Christians in those days. And there are martyrs for Christ in every single generation. I personally am not aware of the United States killing anyone for being a Christian. Freedom of religion is guarded by our Constitution. But that doesn't stop people from making life hard for us, does it? Were the elements of the Constitution to be changed or reinterpreted, we could find ourselves in a worse position, couldn't we? But even the mighty United States of America cannot condemn us if God is not condemning us. We don't ultimately look to the Constitution to defend us. We look to the God who justifies us in Jesus' name. Reality check. Second one, is God holding back? Is God holding back? Verse 32, he says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Big run-on question, right? Your, your English teacher probably wouldn't want you to write big run-on long questions like that. So, um, but here it is right here in the Bible for us to enjoy. The argument is basically this. If God gave us Jesus, who gave His life for us, is there any way in which He is going to hold back now? Answer? No. You pass. Have you ever thought or ever wondered or prayed to find out whether God is holding back on you? Have you ever asked God for something really good and been really sad or upset or impatient when He didn't give it to you? Have you ever lost something or someone and accused God of harming you? If we're honest, I expect that every single one of us has experienced these kinds of thoughts to varying degrees at one time or another. It is a common experience with people to struggle to understand what God is doing in their lives when things are not going well. So common that hundreds of years earlier in Psalm 22, verses 1 to 2, David wrote, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? 
from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, and I find no rest. You ever prayed that prayer? David did, a man after God's own heart. Pretty real, huh? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 says this, In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death, and He was heard because of His reverence. Even Jesus, our Savior, the firstborn of many brothers, had this experience. But he trusted that his Father heard him. We prayed this morning, give us this day our daily bread. That's a prayer for God to supply our basic needs. The point Paul is making in Romans chapter 8 here is that if God gave us Jesus, is He going to deny us our daily bread? Is God going to cheap out on us? Or will He give us everything that we need? When His timing is different from ours, do we call His goodness into question and struggle with doubt? If we're honest, yes, sometimes we do. But this question is a reality check for us. It challenges us to remember how much God has done for us in Jesus. Even when we are praying and asking for our needs, we are to remind ourselves of how much God has done for us in Jesus. Even while we are waiting for the things that we are praying for, we cultivate thanksgiving for how much God has done for us in Jesus. Even when we are hungry or afraid or lonely or worried or tired or struggling, we are encouraged to do a reality check. Don't forget what God has done for you in Jesus. God even knew how much we needed to do this, that He gave us a forever ritual in the regular life of the church called the Lord's table. And each time we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are brought back to how much God has done for us in Jesus. Each time we eat a piece of bread and drink a sip of wine, we reflect on how much God has not spared a single expense for our well-being. Even in our want, He wants us to be thankful and full of Christ. Now, if wearing a cross reminds you of that, by all means, wear a cross. If having a cross in your house reminds you of that, have a cross in your house. If wearing a t-shirt or a wristband that says WWJD on it reminds you of that, Wear a wristband, wear a, wear a t-shirt. If having a tattoo reminds you of that, <laughs> what a better thing to have tattooed on your arm for life. I belong to God. If memorizing verses or having them hanging on your wall reminds you of that, I have Galatians 6.14 in my office, may I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
any good thing that reminds you of what Jesus has done for you, lean into those reminders so that when you doubt, so that when you doubt, the reality check is right there. Third reality check question, what has come between me and Jesus' love? What has come between me and Jesus' love? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? So all of these things were happening to the Christians in Rome who received this letter from Paul. Life was extremely, extremely painful and extremely, extremely hard. Their friends in church were getting killed for their faith. Their friends in church were suffering extreme hardship and need. This stuff is real. And it's real in the world today. The Gospel Coalition publishes an article every year entitled, The Ten Hardest Places to Be a Christian in the World. And some of our missionary partners are in those places. And it humbles my heart when I think of a person who loves Jesus so much that they're willing to give up everything that they know, everything that they're comfortable with, everything they're familiar with, everything that, that they can enjoy to go to tell absolute strangers the message of Jesus Christ and put their complete life on the line. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. They're doing it. They're laying down their life for strangers. It's possible to do this, but it's not humanly possible to do something like it by ourselves. When things get hard, <clears throat> we start praying. Hi, God. Ouch. That really hurts me. Hi, God. Hurting person down here. You know? Hi, God. Really could use a little more down here anytime you're willing and able. Hi, God. Do you really still love me because I'm really not doing so good here? And this question is a reality check. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Answer, no. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. That's why Mark Fee taught us how to do the love verse practice during our first loved weekend. You learn how to hear God speaking His love to you every day in the words of the Bible from God's heart to yours. I go through at least a few of them every single day for as long as I need them or as long as I can until I sense God loving me from His Word. Because I'm made of the exact same stuff that you are. I doubt, I question, I struggle, 
I'm afraid. I know that I need to hear and experience God's love for me every day, and I need to be reminded every day, and every day I go around without reflecting on that love, I have less with which to love anybody else. Reality check. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Well, a lot of things are going to try. But doing love verses is one way that will help you experience His love every day. And I wish every single person would know how to experience His love that way. So we've been talking about how these three questions that Paul raised us help us to do a reality check when life gets really hard. Who is against me or accusing me? Is God holding back? And what has come between me and Jesus' love? Um, just a reminder about your Let's Connect card. They're right there in the seat in front of you. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, a second-time guest, or an all-the-time guest, or if you're watching online, you can do it on our, through our website. Which of these questions, which of these three questions challenges you the most? Who is against me or accusing me? Is God holding back? What has come between me and Jesus' love? I'd love for you to write that on one of those cards and drop it in the offering plate so we can pray for you this week. So I shared with you <clears throat> how I had left, had to leave the dealership that I enjoyed the most because of seven years, uh, after seven years, the economy of Atlantic City just got so, 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 so bad. And over the next two years after that, I bounced around between three other dealerships, unable to find a place that I could really be comfortable working. And I even ended up in 2016 of November getting fired from one because it wasn't working for them or for me. And it was that experience that caused Donna and I to pause and ask the question, is it time for me to return to my first love? serving in a church as a pastor. And now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> Reality checks can be hard. Who really wants to struggle? But if these reality checks take us deeper into trusting our Savior, can you begin to see the value? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. If God didn't spare giving Jesus for us, He will not hold back one single good thing that we need to live for Him. Reality checks take these ideas from up here in our brains where we can store immense amounts of knowledge and memorize them and have them there on, for recall. But they have to move. They have to move from our brain. They have to transfer from being knowledge. They have to improve from being information and work their way down into our hearts where we think and feel 
and want and live. They need to transfer from our brains to our hearts in order for us to be changed and strengthened so that we truly believe in our great God.